0: I want to ask you guys a question um what would you trade your life for is there anything that's so valuable to you that it would make you want to give up everything that you have just for that one thing is there something that you would give up all the pleasures and comforts of life for and instead pick up pain and suffering for that cause or for that person uh, obviously, I'm talking about um, the, uh, the call to be a disciple of Jesus and what that life looks like, uh, as our passage talks about this morning. Uh, up until this point in Jesus's ministry, everything has been a victory. He's a very popular teacher. Uh, he has a lot of disciples. He has a lot of crowds following him. People are being healed left and right. Uh, the crowds are being miraculously fed. Uh, but now, at this point in the, the book of Matthew, there's a, a clear turning point. Uh, Jesus focuses his direction from, uh, from where he was to looking at the cross. And he makes his first prediction about his death and uh, resurrection. He, he can see the cross on the horizon and he uh, foreshadows it in this. And then right after, he tells the disciples that if they really want to follow him and be his disciples, their future is going to look like his too. They, they're going to need to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow him. The, um, the passage this morning is Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. Matthew sixteen twenty one through 28. I'll start reading. it's It says, "From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day." Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, "Far be it from you, Lord! This shall not happen to you." But he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! You are an offense to me, for you are not mind—you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men." Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever uh, loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The, uh, going back to the start, verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day we see from this this verse that Jesus is all-knowing and he's predicting that his time on earth is coming to an end soon. That the cross is just on the horizon, it's just um, within reach. This is the reason he came. Uh, And he he gives us an insight by predicting uh, the type of death he would die by and how he'd be resurrected. And really up until this point in Jesus's ministry, everything is is happy, everything is good. And um, everybody must be thinking this guy is going to be the king on earth and he must be the one that uh, will save us from the Romans. But he makes this prediction that he's going to die. And that must have come as a shock to them, even though there was prophecies beforehand and he had hinted at it before himself, you know, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Um, but it caught all his disciples by surprise. The uh, the good news, the gospel that he predicts um, of him going to the cross is that he must go and suffer many things at the hands of men. He must be rejected, be betrayed, condemned to death, delivered to the Gentiles, be mocked, insulted, scourged, spat upon, crucified, and finally be raised on the third day. Isaiah 53 gives us some highlights about the um, uh, prediction as to how he would suffer and what he would go through for us, how he would die for our sins in our place. Isaiah 53 says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And this is. Uh, Probably my favorite part is that by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is the gospel. This is what uh, Isaiah prophesied Jesus, uh, how his life would look like, how his death and resurrection would be and and why he had to come. Um, It's the good news of salvation for sinners like us um, what Jesus did for us. Um, and I do just want to talk a little bit about why he must go. Um, it says in verse 21 that from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. It's like he was compelled to go. It, I mean, really it was his only mission coming to earth was to go to the cross Um, when he says that he must go to Jerusalem, it reminds me of when he met the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, In John 4, 4, it says, but he needed to go uh, through Samaria. He had an appointment with that woman um, so that he could turn her life around and show her his love. In the same way, Jesus says that he must go to Jerusalem to die on the cross for our sins. Um, And there's several reasons that I could find about why he needed to go and, uh, die on the cross. Uh, it says, well, I found that Jesus needed to go to the cross to glorify the name of the father. It's why he came in the world in the first place. In John 12, it says, um, as he's nearing his death, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus needed to go to the cross to demonstrate his love for us. If he had just told us he loved us, um, we could believe him. But uh, we, uh, we're so uh, weak in faith that we need to see things to believe things. Um, God demonstrated how much he loved us by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to show us how he loves us so that we could have a relationship with him. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, Jesus also needed to go to the cross in order to justify us and redeem, him, redeem us through his grace. We are hopeless without him. We have no... Um, no no good in us, as Romans describes in the first three chapters. And it says, at a conclusion of those three chapters in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Without him justifying us, we could never have a relationship with him. He has forgiven us of all of our sins, um, and he wanted to. Jesus also needed to go to the cross in order to bring us to the point of repentance by showing us that he could and would forgive us of all our sins. It says in Luke 24:46, uh, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And there's many, many other reasons why he went to the cross uh, and why he must go. Um, But for the sake of time, I mean, he went to the cross in order to give us life and hope, the Holy Spirit, peace, joy, grace, and uh, give us a purpose in our lives, which is to glorify him um, by showing our obedience in our faith. Um, These are all why he needed to go. Um, And it all could be summed up, really, in that he loves us. That's why he needed to go. Um, And right after Jesus tells this to his disciples that he needs to die, that he's going to go to the cross and that he will rise from the dead, uh, we see an example of the wrong response to what Jesus said uh, by Peter's reaction. It says in verse 22, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. Uh, this shall not happen to you. The first reason that this is the wrong response uh, is that Peter rebukes Jesus. Um, and to, in order to get a better understanding as to why he rebuked Jesus, we need to take a step back and um, Jesus made this prediction and it must have made everybody's hearts drop because they were predicting that this is the guy who's going to reign on earth um, and he's going to defeat the Romans and he's going to solve all their life problems. And then he uh, drops the bomb that he's going to die. And you can see in Peter's reaction that that's like the only thing they heard is that he's only going to die. And it's like they missed the last part where he'll be risen from the dead. Uh, And you can see this in other verses later in the gospel where angels remind the disciples, remember he told you he was going to rise from the dead, um, as if they forgot. These disciples gave up everything to follow him, and now he's going to die. Um, But they miss the hope at the end of his prediction where he's being raised from the dead. You see, he lived a sinless, perfect life, was crucified on the cross, in our place, and was raised, uh, was buried and raised from the dead, that he should prove his victory over death and give us this unshakable hope. The, the best part of what he said was the last part where he'd be risen from the dead, because if he had only died, then our hope would not be any hope at all. Hebrews six nineteen says, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. So now we get back to why Peter rebukes uh, Jesus. He rebukes Jesus because he lost sight of the resurrection and only focused on the suffering and death of Jesus. Um, When when we set our hope on on Jesus, uh, we can focus on our hope that he can give us. He was raised from the dead, and in the same way, we who believe in his name will also be raised and be given new life. We have this hope in him that he also knows the best for our lives. When we face troubles in life, it can be very easy to lose sight of his leadership, um, but we can have hope that um, we'll have victory when we die. That will be raised with him uh, and have eternal security in heaven with him. The second reason that Peter's response was wrong is this Jesus is the Lord, but Peter doesn't treat him as the Lord. He calls Jesus Lord, but then right after that steps in front of him and tells him what he can and cannot do. He lost sight of who was in control. Peter, in a sense, was acting as the Lord of his own life. Uh, He was rebuking God, questioning his will, and saying, this will not happen to you. Do you ever feel like Peter? I know that I often do. Um, Peter couldn't understand why Jesus was leading a certain way in his life. Um, So instead of following in obedience and in faith... He rebukes the Lord and doubts his plans. And this isn't the only time that Peter um, struggles with unbelief. We see this also when Jesus asks him to, to walk on water and take a step of faith. But Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and focuses on um, what's right in front of him and, and starts to sink. But when we, when we call him Lord and when we follow his lead, we can trust him to keep us safe, to keep us secure, to provide everything we could ever need in our lives. There's no reason to doubt. He is a great provider. He is the leader that we need in our lives. Um, When I think to yourselves, how often you call Jesus Lord like Peter did, but then you tell him what to do. Will you take that leap of faith and trust him to to lead you step by step as you follow him? The wrong response is to question his leading and authority in our lives. We're called to faithfully trust uh, his leading step by step, especially when you can't see what the future holds, and especially when you're scared of what it might cost to follow him. Verse 23, we get Jesus' response to, to Peter. It says, but he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. It's a really harsh rebuke from Jesus, but Peter needed it. And Jesus isn't saying that Peter was Satan, but he's saying that his desires matched up with what Satan wants. In the world, he wants people to take their eyes off Jesus and to focus on themselves, focus on right now temporary pleasures and securities, and um, to avoid the pain and suffering of uh, following Christ. Um, But Jesus came to this world with that one mission to die on the cross, and he was set in his mind to complete that mission. And anything getting in the way was it a, um, a stumbling block for him, which is why Jesus rebukes him so harshly. Jesus was not going to stray from this mission that he came to do. We see um, Jesus had the same response to Satan when Satan tried to tempt um, Jesus to uh, change his mission and, and get distracted in the, the wilderness. It says in Luke 4, 8, Um, after Satan's trying to tempt him with these various um, temptations, he says that Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan. It is written, you uh, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So we see Jesus rebukes Peter because he lost sight of what really matters. He took his eyes off of Jesus and his mind became set on the worldly things. Around him and not heavenly things. To set your mind on the things of this world is to fall into the trap that uh, Satan has to take your eyes off Christ and his plans for your life. And there's this constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. Uh, And we can see this in Romans 8, verse 5 through 8. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Peter was setting his mind on the things of the flesh, when he should have been setting his mind where Christ was. Is your mind set on the things of God or on the things of men? When you think about your life, where you spend your time, where you spend your money, uh, and your resources, what is your life consumed by? Is it consumed by money, career, family, relationships, pleasures, and sin? Are you looking to these kind of things that you spend your life on to provide you with temporary satisfaction? Are you setting your mind on the world? Are you living for the flesh? Or are you setting your mind where Christ is and focusing on how He'll provide you with the true joy, the happiness, contentment, peace, love, encouragement, and lasting satisfaction that your soul desires? I want to encourage you to set your mind where Christ is by reading the first four verses of Colossians 3. It reminds us of the powerful truth um, that we've been raised with Christ and that we'll appear with him in glory because of these things. We should always be looking up to Christ and following him. It says in Colossians 3.1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. <clears throat> so, set your mind on things above where Christ is. And you will find true joy and happiness in that. Now we uh, transition in what Jesus says. um, so he, now he's talking to all his disciples. He finishes rebuking Peter and turns to the crowd, his disciples, and says in verse 24, uh, Then Jesus said to his, his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus is speaking, telling his disciples how they should live their lives if they really want to follow him. And uh, Romans 12 offers a great comparison to what Jesus says here. In Romans twelve one through 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus starts to show us through this, um, this uh, passage that he is a leader. And he's showing us by example. He's predicted his own death of how he's going to um, deny himself, suffer, pick up his cross, die, um, be ra- buried and raised. He's setting the example of what it looks like. And he's saying, if you're really my disciples, this is the path I'm choosing. You're going to need to follow me if you really want to be my disciple. Um, It continues in verse 24 that says, let him deny himself. I've been reading uh, Nate Bramson's book, What If Jesus Meant What He Said? And it's a good book. He talks about this verse 24. Um, He says, He points out that there's a difference between self-denial and denying yourself. Um, Jesus doesn't say practice self-denial. He says deny yourself. So self-denial is more of removing things from your life that are more likely on a temporary basis in order to focus on some important things in your life. Um, It's trying to fix your life of brokenness in your own strength by focusing on more avoiding things, like don't drink, don't do drugs, don't curse, don't lie, don't cheat, don't lust, don't watch porn, don't get angry. These are all great things to avoid, and I'm not saying that you should start doing these things. Um, Of course, avoid these things, but the focus Jesus is saying in denying yourself is not just avoid these things, but he's telling us If you want to be my disciple, you have to surrender your life to me. You should focus on handing him the keys of your heart, and he'll take care of all these issues. So, denying yourself looks like stepping off the throne of your life to let Christ reign over all of your dreams, your passions, and your pursuits. It's putting the flesh to death so you can live in the life that Christ gives you. It's handing the keys of your heart over to Christ for him to take the rightful place as king of your life. And it's surrendering your life completely by stepping off the throne. You can trust him to help you in all these areas. So the question Jesus asks um, is really, will you deny yourself or will you deny me? You have to either um, serve the flesh or serve Christ. You can't do both. If you really want to be his disciple, you have to deny yourself. And in verse 24, it continues and says, And take up his cross. There's uh, some misconceptions. Some people think um, what the cross is and what the cross isn't. Um, You might have heard people say, uh, Well, I have cancer, and that's just my cross to bear. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying this trial that you're going through is the cross. Um, everybody in the world can go through trials. Um are all promised trials in life. But when Jesus talks about the cross, he's talking about the suffering, the persecution, the daily choice and public declaration that you are willing to suffer for his sake. It's... Um, Suffering persecution at work, people making fun of you, it's missionaries being killed for their faith, being beheaded. That's picking up the cross, denying themselves. They're making a public choice that Christ is more valuable than their life, and they're willing to die for their faith. Now, I know we don't necessarily see death in America for uh, our faith, um, but we can suffer persecution uh, the question is, are you willing to take a stand for your faith? Or will you sit there while people mock you um, or mock God? Um, Jesus says to pick up your cross. And in another, uh, I think it's in Luke, it says that it's really a daily choice. Pick up your cross daily. Um, are you willing to make that daily choice to suffer for Christ. Christ leads by example when he takes up his own cross and he says, this is what you can expect when you follow me. But Paul uh, encourages us with these great words about the uh, afflictions we can carry in this life. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, "Um, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what I have written, or what is written, uh, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things, for our for your sakes, that grace, uh, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. We should expect persecution. We should expect suffering for Christ. We should expect friends and family to reject us and hate us. We should even expect to be killed for our faith. This is what we should expect when we follow Jesus, because that's what happened to him. But we have this unshakable hope that even if we're killed for our faith, we'll be taken up into glory to be with Christ, who is our life. So there really is nothing to fear, even in death. Verse twenty four ends and says, "And follow me." There's a, a character of the follower. It's somebody who's humble. It's uh, Peter was trying to lead his own life, uh, stepping in front of Jesus. Um, but we have to be humble followers willing to submit to him as Lord and as our leader you have to put Christ first um, and not put yourself first you have to trust his leadership and know that he knows the best for your life and have faith in how he'll lead you even when it looks um, when your future is hard to see because he knows the future for you There is a serious warning, though, to those who refuse to take up their cross and follow him. Jesus says, um, He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And also, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus commands us and says, Follow me. How can you follow him if you don't imitate him and take up your cross also? How can you be his disciple? If you don't even bear your cross like he did. It's a serious warning. um, If you're not um, following him the right way to um, to pick up your cross and follow him like he calls us to do. Uh, Verse 25 continues and says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you're looking to preserve your life, you will find it. But if you give up your life and desires in pursuit of following Christ, then you will find a new and better life. It's losing your life to save it, but finding better life in Christ. It's dying to live. So there's two um, points in this verse. Those who save their lives and those who lose their lives. So what does it look like to try and save your life? It's somebody who puts career, money, relationships, temporary securities, pleasures of life, comforts, sin above the value of the gospel, and it's not finding life in Christ. The promise is that um, you will lose the fullness of the life that you could have had with Christ. Jesus promises that you'll receive the reward of your choice just temporary pleasures, and that's all you will receive. This is the wrong response as a disciple of Christ. The other side is to lose your life. Now, what does this look like? It looks like giving up all of these worldly things that will only provide you with temporary pleasures and happiness. You're giving up the life that you have right now on earth for the promise and hope of a better life with Christ. It's putting Christ first in all you do and looking to him for, looking to him for direction in your life, having faith in his leadership that he knows what's best for you, trusting him that denying yourself, taking up your cross and suffering and following him are the best decisions you could ever make. And the promise that he uh, gives us is that you will find better life in Christ. You will find heavenly rewards, eternal pleasures, joy, happiness, peace that passes understanding, love, a place in heaven prepared for you, life with the one who created you and gave you um, all these great things, and to be able to behold the glory of God with your own eyes. This is the right response as a disciple of Christ. There is another warning, though, to those who want to hold on to the things of this life uh, and uh have a strong grip for what this world has to offer, while also trying to reach for Christ. It says in Luke seventeen thirty-two, "Remember Lot's wife." Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. In uh, the story, when uh, God is destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Lot and his wife are warned ahead of time to flee the city because God is going to destroy that city because it was so consumed on um, immorality and it was such a wicked city focused on the things of the world and could care less about the things of God. So God has his plan to destroy it and warns them to run run away. In Genesis nineteen seventeen, it says, So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And in verse 26, as they're running away, it says, But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife turned back to look at the smoldering city of Sodom. Clinging to the past, you know, she was unwilling to turn completely away from her past. Are you looking longingly at sin while trying to move forward with God. Know that you can't surrender completely to God as long as you are holding on to pieces of your old life. Jesus says in Matthew six, twenty-four that no one can serve two masters. Verse uh, 26 reads, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Do you think it's worth it to gain everything in the entire world, but give up your soul for it? I did a little research on how much money there is in the world. uh, How much all of the economies put together. There's 194 economies, and at the end of 2020, it was projected that the the value of everything in the world was about uh, 84 trillion dollars. Um, and if you just took the richest man in the world, which is now Elon Musk, he's a very poor man who only has 185 billion in comparison to the rest of the world. Even he can't, um, own the whole world. He's, he's, uh, he has a few pennies in comparison, um, to gaining the whole world at a mere 185 billion. Um but these people who pursue riches instead of um, you know, pursue things on this world instead of things that are eternal value um, Jesus says, you know, are you willing to lose your soul to gain the whole world in uh, psalm forty nine it says it very well it says, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches' None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever that he should continually, uh, continue to live forever and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever forever. Their dwelling places to all generations they call their lands after their own names at the end of the day you could spend your entire life pursuing riches and temporary pleasures and so on but when you die you can't take any of it anyways there's a, a song that you've never uh, it goes like you've never seen a, a hearse with a u-haul trailer behind it you know you can't take these things to the grave Um, you have to leave it behind to somebody else. So what was the point of collecting all these things? Um, But by pursuing Christ wholeheartedly, if you leave these things behind, you're not losing anything of real value, but you're gaining everything of eternal value. You have nothing to lose, but everything to gain. Jesus asks us plainly, Do you treasure knowing me, Or do you treasure what the world has to offer you? Would you waste your entire life over these temporary pleasures instead of knowing me? Uh, Verse 26 continues and says, Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We just talked about how much money there is in the world and how much somebody would give in exchange for their soul. But something I was thinking about was, How little would you pay in exchange for your soul? How much is your soul worth to you? The sad thing is that most people deny Jesus for much, much less than the entire world. uh, And much, much less than even the richest man in the world has to offer. Which is only pennies in comparison to what the world has to offer. There's two examples I want to compare one person gave everything to Christ. The other looked to take everything from Christ away from him. In Matthew 26, verse 6, it talks about the woman who anointed Jesus with a costly oil. It says, um, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. Um, This woman gave the very best to Jesus. She gave something that was very costly to her. And she wasn't looking to Jesus for what she can get out of him but she was looking to give him all that she had. And right after this passage, we see the opposite response to Jesus as Judas uh, plans on betraying Jesus. It says, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Jesus gave everything he had to others. Judas was not satisfied with this, though, and he looked uh, for what else he can get out of Jesus and betrayed Jesus for just 30 pieces of silver. It's a great illustration in the Bible about what the wrong and right response are to the calling of Jesus to deny yourself. <clears throat> One person gave all she had to Jesus and another person took all they can get in this life and betrayed Jesus and denied him. Who do you see yourself as? I um, It's often easy to see yourself as the woman um, who praises Jesus and honors him and gives everything to him. Um, I'm not saying that you should necessarily see yourself as Judas, but... There are many ways that we deny Jesus over little things. Um, You know, somebody makes fun of God and I won't say anything. They take uh, Jesus' name in vain and I'll keep quiet. I make small choices in my life that don't, small and big choices in my life that don't glorify God. Um, I'll pursue things that only provide me with temporary pleasures, even though I know that Jesus only, Jesus always offers um, lasting joy and happiness. If I deny those things, when I, uh, when people do these things where they uh, take His name in vain, or with the choices in my life, I'm showing where I value things, and it's a, it's really denying Jesus instead of denying myself. <clears throat> However. In preparing for this message, I've recognized my own sin, and I'm making a daily choice now to deny myself and surrender myself completely to God and His Word and follow Him wholeheartedly. I've realized that my sins will never satisfy like the sweet fellowship of walking with Jesus step by step. In verse 27, it says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. When Christ comes in the glory of his Father and all heaven's angels, he will be the one who rewards people based on their choice. He'll either give eternal blessings to those who give up their own lives um, to follow Christ, or shame to those who look to save their own lives by following the world. In Second Corinthians five nine, it says, "Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we have, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I trust." Uh, and I also trust, are well-known in your consciences. Verse uh, 28 says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. There's an unfortunate chapter break, and I don't want to steal the thunder from next week's message, but I will just say this about this verse. Jesus gives his uh, disciples a glimpse of the glory of God in the next few verses. At the Transfiguration, Jesus is King. When He came the first time to this earth, He came to bring salvation. When He can, when He comes back again, He'll come in glory to rightfully reign as King. Are you ready? So, how can we apply these things? We should. Uh, how can the word of uh, this word of truth uh, change our uh, our lives? on this from this passage First of all we must deny ourselves Are you uh, are your eyes focused on the things of men or on the things of God If your mind is focused on the things of this world and the temporary pleasures it can offer then change your heart Confess any sins that you're holding on to and unwilling to give up surrender yourself completely before the Lord and he will give you joy peace happiness and all these things, following him and denying yourself. The second thing to do is to pick up your cross, make a public declaration to those around you that this is the path of obedience that you're choosing, and it will lead to uh, persecution, suffering. It will lead to discomfort, and it may even be willing uh, may even lead to death. The question is: Are you willing to give up everything, even your own life, for the Lord? Are you willing to lose it all for his sake? The the third point is to follow Christ. Submit to him as the Lord of your life. Let him lead you in every step of your life. Allow him to change you and your character more and more like himself each day. And I just want to end with His encouragement from Hebrews 12. Uh, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before uh, him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is calling you to a life of following him, and it means to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and follow him daily are you willing to give up what this world has to offer in exchange for what he has to offer let's pray lord we just thank you for your word for um the truth that's in it that you've provided for us this morning we just pray that you would touch our hearts and lead us to uh, to change, to be more like you. Um, help us to be obedient. Help us to surrender our lives completely to you and deny ourselves. Help us to pick up that cross and uh, be willing to suffer persecution for your sake and follow you. We just pray, Lord, that we would be obedient uh, to these things. In your name, amen.